out here in the perimeter, there are no stars. Out here, we is stoned, immaculate. Hello and welcome. This is the C86 Show. I'm David Eastall. As you know, we love a special guest. This week, it's going to be the turn of the band titled 530, because I recently spoke to Tara Milton, vocalist and bass player of the band, to find out more about life, love and poetry. This is the interview. We talk about, um, yes, his time in 530, also what happens next and his moment with the new Biles, and much, much more. So this is the interview, so after several minutes of interesting but casual chat, we get down to that exciting subject that was the early formative years. This is Tara talking about that period, and also, just to say, I think there's one bit where there's a little bit of a um, gap, the, the volume or the... Uh, the recording slightly goes into a, a, a void, but apart from that, I think it's pretty good. Anyway, Tara, it's over to you. Oh, uh, probably a series of musical awakenings, you know, because time is quite a uh, it's quite a strange concept up until the, well, I mean, it it is period, but particularly up until the age of about until you're a teenager, mm-hmm. the um, you go for very definite periods of evolving unfolding as it were so that what right from 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 the age that you begin to remember your earliest musical experience when experiences when you're when you're a toddler and, and something's coming out of the radio and it, your very first awareness of what's that it it pleases me somehow um, so yeah, I mean, I can, uh, I, ha- I have a different recollection for a different kind of phase. I, I guess um, you know, when I was a toddler, uh, I, I uh, vividly recall a song on the radio, and I can't remember the artist's name now, but it was that um, "Where's Your Mama Gone? Where's Your Mama Gone?" And and I, I remember. Can you remember the song? God, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah. Loved um yeah. Chirpy Chirpy Cheap Cheap That's Middle of the, the Road. It was... There you go. There you go. You're the anorak. Um <laughs> well you have but um you see, I, I I related to that at the time because my mum used to go to work and leave me with uh, a neighbor a friend or neighbour who used to sort of babysit for us and so that kind of struck a chord. You have that connection immediately. You know, this this thing can relate to your personal experience. Okay, you weren't necessarily verbalizing it to yourself in that kind of way. And um and then uh, later I can remember um being in the back of our car. We used to live in um Paul Dorset, and um here comes the sun came on. Um and I was kind of um i was hypnotized by by the beauty of it you know i just um had no idea who it was or anything like that um so yeah there were a few and then um growing up as you mentioned the glam phase we our family moved back to oxfordshire and uh we lived with my grandparents for a while um so my uh auntie uh sally um would have been in her maybe early teens or 
late pre-teens around that time and she used to have friends come around and they used to dance around the stereo to that uh, t-rex and um gary glitter and that sort of uh that sort of stuff slade and uh, so yeah, it was, and then uh, my auntie was uh, kind enough to um, set up the pots and pans uh, in the formation of a drum kit and um, allow me to get a couple of uh, the old um, the wooden uh, spoons and like I was in with it, you know, in with the track. Yes, part of it. It really felt natural, you know. So uh, yeah, uh, those were the earliest once the early uh, years yeah. my god that sounds very good because interestingly enough decades later slightly jumping ahead of the the wibbly wobbly timey wimey world but there was that album that came out in the late um 80s the anti-poltax album elvin Listen. oh yeah that's and, right um, and funny enough chirpy chirpy cheap cheap features on that and it was done by lush wasn't it you oh my lord i you know what you've news me up on that one you <laughs> I, I know that my band was on there but um yeah you were 530 are on there and yeah can you even remember the song you did we did yeah yeah we did my sweet lord and you did. Uh, likewise that's another um uh recognition of that that those early um awakenings uh of music because that was another track that really jumped out of the stereo uh um and embraced me when I was a kid. Yeah. Yes. God, that was that was funny when you mentioned Chirpy because because yeah. My apologies to to Lush on that. I like Lush as well. Yes, absolutely. But yeah. um, yes, it was. It if only you'd covered it on that album. We'd have. It would have been a holistic kind of meeting. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I'm sure Lush probably did. Probably you know better better than we could have. I'm, I'm sure. It was interesting because I know this this writer, Will Hodgkinson, he did a book really celebrating a lot of the 70s songs that, you know, I suppose are referred to as being slightly naff or not very cool rather than okay. usual. And I suppose he he sort of references a lot of the songs that appear right. on that compilation. Like you've got uh, the Sidleys doing Love Grows, Where My Rosemary Goes. <laughs> yeah. and, uh, Is that also, on there as well? Yes, Confused oh, okay. Item. Kung Fu Fighting by Robin Hitchcock's on there. Bye Bye Baby yeah. by the Pop Guns. Um, you got sort of, uh, I suppose, Bohemian Rhapsody done by Cud. And Wandering, oh, wow. And Wandering Star to... done by The per, uh, Perfect Disaster. So there was Oh, wow. Yeah, I, should, I, I need to reinvestigate that record. Yes, if you've got it in your in your sort of collection, go and see Elvin Lives and Leaves and hear your version of My Sweet Lord. So, uh, yeah. It's a it, it was a classic really of its time. So yes, so then that was the the early seventies your period. So you were you were obviously sort of. What did Julian? To... Sorry, sorry to interrupt. What did Julian Cope do? Because I remember we did a show and he was he was headlining at the Brixton Fridge. But can you remember if he if he lent a track to the record? No, he he had, he's not on the album. There's twelve oh. tracks. Including the fourteen ice bears, the close lobsters, the wedding presents, corn dollies, and um, right. yes, five five thirty wow. with my sweet lord, which is obviously you know. But um... <laughs> yeah, it was my idea to do the song. I I recall, and um, and we we recorded it at um, EMI Music Publishers just off uh, Oxford Street, the northern end. I don't know if you if you know it, Rathbone Place. And um, 
and yeah, we we just kind of uh, dashed it out in a couple of takes. And I think there was a bit of a race for the vocal. And um, Paul got into the studio early the next morning and did the vocal, which was probably a good thing, actually, because his voice is more melodic than mine. So, Yes, well, there you go, yeah. there you go. Yeah. So then going back to these, the 70s period, so so were your parents at all, I mean, you mentioned the, you know, playing sort of middle of the road, were they, did they have a, a other sort of musical kind of um, albums that you were influenced by? Uh, parents and uh, grandparents, um, stepfather as well. Uh, yeah, another one I should probably... Um, I should probably mention was the the Jungle Book records, uh, which my grandmother um, gave us one Christmas. Uh, all those classic songs from the Jungle Book. Um, that was uh, quite an amazing one. Uh, my mother um, was a big Beatles fan, and um, yeah, she was. I mean, she'd grown up in the sixties. Uh, was a teenager in the sixties, so. And likewise, my father was a, a few years older, so he was more into the rock and roll end of things. Yes. Um, but having said that, um, he he really did embrace each decade that came along. I mean, he, you know, he, I remember my dad playing me uh, Thriller, for example, first first time I sat down and, and actually played it in the car when we were um, on a journey. <clears throat> yes. So during the seventies, then you were—I I sort of not quite aware of your age, but you didn't, mm. you know, you didn't have that punk period, did you? You were a bit too young for punk. Uh, yes, a bit young. Um, going back to punk, really more as a retrospective kind of thing. But uh, I, uh, kids my age were into it, maybe a year or two older. My brother was kind of really into it you know the dead kennedys and stuff like that and um uh i thought it was a little bit um yeah a little bit wild (laughs) (laughs) my tastes were a little bit more conservative at the time i was a little bit it was quite a sort of scary uh thing um the punk rock scene when it came out i think it's um it might be a little bit uh easy to overlook just what kind of visual impact those people had on the era at the time and i remember sort of visiting because we lived out in 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 the um sticks you know i remember on a visit to oxford and seeing a sort of um congregation of punk rockers around bond square in oxford and it looked like a bunch of uh pirate outlaws or something you know Um, yes well, I suppose, uh, yeah. yes, I, I can I can relate to that because, you know, I was born in the middle of East Anglia in a country, you know, in the village, almost a field, you know, so culturally yeah. think things were quite behind. I mean, you know, really behind the times culturally. So, um, yes, punk punk definitely wasn't around. And, um, yeah, it was more, you know, soft pop, the top, you know, the top of the pops experience. And also, you, you know, you obviously had, an old, you have an older brother. I had an older brother as well. Yeah. Was, and he was he was really into the world of prog rock, so that was all that. Kind oh, of really? Right. Yes, Genesis. You know, 
wish yeah. you know argos and um you know all those kind of classic records that sure. everyone hated during the punk period really and yeah um, yeah yeah elaborate sleeves and you know rick wakeman albums that you know came with you know little accessories like bits of foil that you had to look down to see some psychedelic kind of landscape that he oh wow journey to the center of the earth i think the album was so it was all very you know like wow this is great but it was not yeah. punk, you know it was definitely you know yeah having, having people sort of on ice skates you know and horses and you know medieval yeah lights. yeah it, it was quite yeah. different but your brother was obviously more into punk and heavy rock uh yeah look uh he he was into iron maiden um i remember you know and everyone was uh kind of big on the um you know the imagery of the Iron Maiden, uh, you know the uh, Eddie the Monster and all of that. You know this, that was, uh, uh, and my brother kind of uh, introduced me to Iron Maiden. Um, other than that, that I don't think he was that into um, heavy rock, um, but he he was more into the punk end of things. I remember him like uh, playing um, the Dead Kennedys. Um, um, the name of the uh what was the name of the dead kennedy's uh track that he played uh too drunk to i uh, wasn't the too drunk to uh it was uh california Oberalis that was the one and i just and at that point i just wow this is this has got something you know so what was your what was your moment where you either bought a record or you went to your first gig uh, Record-wise, I received a record token one Christmas from my auntie Anne, and uh, I think we went to I think we went to Woolworths or something to spend the record token after Christmas. And um, we were looking through the records, and my mum suggested Abbey Road. Um, so <laughs> Abbey Road was my first twelve-inch uh, vinyl. Excellent. Um, I'm sure and, your your mum must have given you like oh god I haven't got that record go and buy it now oh, there you go yeah. <laughs> actually mum my mum ended up getting rid of all of her vinyl records uh, it's quite a long story but um, my stepfather bought a brand new stereo Panasonic top of the range stereo and he was like oh we're not going to play those old records on this kind of thing on this stereo it, it will spoil it so somehow um i don't know where they went but my mum got ended up getting rid of all of her original 60s vinyl and um which was a shame so there was a kind of a bit of a um vacuum in that department I had to sort of go back and think the thing of uh, abbey road definitely a step back at um to that world because uh during that period we were probably we were probably listening to people like the gibson brothers cuba and um you know rose royce and more of the disco kind of uh a disco and soul um singers that were happening at the time which was more an influence that my stepfather was was probably bringing into the equation you know curtis yeah. mayfield and uh yeah the american black soul singers 
and Tamla Motown and all of that uh, kind of stuff. Uh, but yeah, uh, uh, getting back to Abbey Road, that was the, uh, the um, first album, and uh, it was a little treat for us to to play a record on a Sunday um, while we were kind of cleaning our shoes and getting ready for school the next day. And Abbey Road is a very melancholic album. It sounds like because and stuff like that. And I just remember it used to spin me out into this ocean of melancholy um, because you've got school the next day and you're doing these chores and then there's, this, you know, these sad arpeggios of, uh, okay, it's not the, the you, you, you have got some more upbeat stuff on there like Octopus Garden and so forth. Uh, but that was my memory of Abbey Road. Um, uh, obviously, you've got "Here Comes the Sun" as well. A few vivid songs, but on the whole, it's like a quite a melancholic album, I think. Yeah, um, absolutely. It's funny, funny because I, I saw my parents bought one of these kind of compilations of the Carpenters, and that that was kind of a massive influence because all their songs are complete heartache and heartbreak, aren't they? Yeah, and uh, yeah, and, and about loneliness, alienation, and never finding a love. Or yeah. And, um, and, and, I, and I always thought, if you liked the Carpenters and Burt Brackback when you were young, you were definitely going to like Joy Division and the Smiths later on in life, because <laughs> it, it's kind of like, I say goodbye to love, no one seems to care if I should live or die. And you think, Ian, Ian Curtis... Yes, yeah, pretty like heavy, that. isn't it? Yeah, it's pretty heavy sentiments. You, you don't really hear it um, around so much these days. No, uh, no. Not that I'm too massively aware of what's happening on the radio, but... Uh, it's not something that I tend to recognise. No, people pouring out their hearts on that. Uh, yeah, Harry Nielsen and in, without you, obviously, yes. that was a uh, cover by the um, the what was the band? The uh, the can't live without you. The Welsh band. Oh my God, I can't live. I can't. I know, I've just been. Oh, um, uh, so bad finger. That's the one. So, God, that's the most tragic story of rock and roll. Yes. The story of bad yes. finger, yes. Yes, I mean, I'm, I'm only hearing the story. It really kind of matches up with that song. It's, yeah. Yes, that's a track. I did an interview with um, Chris Spedin, who was who played on that track, and I said, when you recorded it as one of those classics, did you think it was, you know, a great song? He said, Yeah, you would never know, you know, when you're when you're doing those recordings, that, uh, you know, you think the the songs that you think are great just disappear, and the songs you think, oh wow, that was a bit naff. Yeah, kind of yeah. So um, it was quite wow. interesting, really. There you Incredible. Go. Yes, and, 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 and doing... was he was he something to do with the was he in Badfinger or was he? No, I think he was just one of the session guys who oh, was okay. about Chris Bedin because he did lots of stuff and he's got an yeah yeah I know the name thing. but I, yeah. But then you had also you had Seasons in the Sun, but you also had a um, no you had I can't live, but you also had yeah. Seasons in the Sun, which was another really sad song about you know we had fun we had joy we had. Fun. We had seasons in the sun, you know, and it's all about, you know, basically dying at the end, isn't it, really? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, so um, yeah. no wonder we are such depressed people in older age. So there you go. All the 80s. Well, yeah, I mean, um, there's a kind of um, ethos, should we say, that says, you know, um, 
let me ex let me express your pain your burden for you so you don't have to you don't have to carry it you know yes i know a little bit of that uh, going on with with uh with good uh kind of heavy melancholic music i think it kind of uh releases well, you I think romantic melancholy is the, you know, the, the ideal emotional state to be in at all times, isn't it? Especially if you're an artist, I think, you know, that's, that's where you Absolutely. want to be. Absolutely. Yeah, it is. It is quite a nice state of mind to get yourself into. Yeah. And, uh, you have, you have to have a certain set of criteria in place for it to happen. You can't be sort of dashing around here. Then, you know, uh, the weather, obviously a bit of uh, gloomy English, English weather is uh, very, uh, synonymous with that kind of mind yes. well, in the good old days when you know we had heavy winters that was definitely um <clears throat> a period wasn't it between sort of no october to uh, march was kind yeah. of quite grim really we yeah didn't see the, you didn't see the sun you just kind of had grayness you know and uh yeah just kind of endless endless winter days whereas now it seems a bit mild really <laughs> yeah yeah but then i did once i remember doing a road trip in america once and it was kind of through those deserts in new mexico and arizona thinking oh. i really you really get the eagles when you're in that kind of landscape. absolutely absolutely you, know, you, yeah. you would you don't really yeah. want to, you know you don't joy division smith's not really working but uh, absolutely yeah you um, know, Likewise, I remember when I went to LA and uh, and listening to the Doors in LA is a completely different experience. Yeah, it's yes, you, you really is it. synonymous with that terrain. Absolutely, yes. There's, there's, there's... And also, I, I I can remember when we, we toured in America and we we um we got hold of an early demo tape, not demo tape, but a, a white label tape whatever you want to call it of the Nevermind Nirvana's album right. and that seemed to really fit into la landscape as well this kind of alien force kind of rolling over this vast landscape and as Kurt's voice and the sound of the band just matched up perfectly Yes, it's interesting. I'm sure someone's done a thesis, a PhD on the sort of, you know, the, the relationship between art and the physical yeah the physicality of your you know land around you so um yes well it light. would be it would be a good idea if they haven't very yes. subject. yeah we're all full of good ideas so what was your first what was your first gig you went to uh my first gig was um i think it was in swindon and it was a mod band uh called small world um wow. yeah how did you get to see them my first band was nine below zero they weren't quite mod, oh wow you're joking but they were you know they were at the ipswich go Mont, so i went to see them and uh was amazing like, amazed yeah I, that was... I yeah i used to love nine below zero i had that live at the marquee yeah i've still got it and um uh Loved that, and actually, it was five thirties. I think it was probably our second or third ever gig was supporting the truth. All oh, right, in Oxford, yeah, which was quite an amazing experience after you know being 
so enamored by nine below zero yes absolutely uh, so what was your so small small did you say small world yeah yeah a band called small world and then there was a local band um from swindon local mod band supporting them oh, i can't remember their name i remember i remember the bass player's name gary palmer <laughs> but i can't remember the name of the band and um yeah small world they were an east london band and I think they were East London. I'm pretty sure they were from London anyway. And they were fantastic. Um, they, My vivid memory of the night was their cover of um, Stiff Little Fingers, which isn't very mod, um, Tin Soldier, and um, what was the... HQ Park. Fantastic. No, uh, no it's another fantastic cover that they did on the night. And uh, what was it called? The pressure of knowing I've been. Uh, ah, I know. And as I walk along, I wondered what went long. Another melancholic one. Love, I'm a wandering in the rain. Right. <laughs> and it was Chris, someone. I've got, I've, got, I've, got, I've got their live in Japan album, which which starts with do anything you want to do, good things in life today, no matter what. It does have tomorrow never comes, tin soldier, peace of mind. Ah, is that small world? Yeah, they play, they played in Japan. Well, it says there was a light in Japan two thousand and one. Oh, it's I don't know. I mean, perhaps it's um okay. two thousand and one. Wow. I mean, because this would have when I saw them, I, I think they must have regrouped for that or something. Um, because this must have been nineteen eighty three or something when I saw them in in Swindon. And uh, yeah, it was one of those. It was a fantastic gig. I think I remember we um, we slept in the multi-story car park um, afterwards, and then hitchhiked because we lived in a small town in the Cotswolds uh, called Burford. I'm not sure if you've heard of Burford. No, I've never they, been there. Okay, it's they call it the gateway to the Cotswolds. It's it it's situated approximately halfway between Oxford and and so yeah it was about a 20 or mile hitch from Burford to Swindon it's right. right on the A40 as well so it's easy to get to London and Oxford is is the main city before London from there so look yeah. interesting little bit of trivia just to throw this in here you know small world they did a a demo, which was obviously a demo. Yeah. But their first single, which is Love Is Dead, which came out in That's 19... right, yeah. Came out. Do you know what record label that was on? No. So that was on Wham! Records with two A's, which was Dan Tracy's album. Uh, Dan Tracy, who did, you know, Dan Tracy, the famous, and Edward Ball, who went on to do Creation yeah. Records. So that was... Oh, the... wow. Amazing. So that they were there. interesting little bit of trivia. Wow. Yeah. So that was yeah. probably one of their first ever songs that came out on the label, because that was 81. So, um, yeah. It's probably yeah. worth a fiver on eBay now. So there you go. Well, could be done. 
<laughs> Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Love is Dead was the one. And can you remember the, the name of the person that uh the the, the group that sang um Walking uh, in the Rain? Do yeah, I, I know the two. And I wonder, oh why, 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 why wonder why? Yeah, I know, Christ. We should well, run away, run away. That's what it's called. Right. That. Yes, run well, who's away. the band? Who's the band? This is, I'm going to have to have a look on the phone. Otherwise, I'll have a look. Wait a minute. Okay, run yeah. Run away. Oh, God. This is, this is quality, you know, interviewing, isn't it, really? Yeah. Um, fuck, I don't know. Del Shannon. Del Shannon. There you go. Who, another one like the Bad Finger. Lot. I mean, he ended up um, he ended up taking his own life as well. I think it's a it's a murky world. I tell you, should being a rock star musician comes with a health warning, doesn't it? Really. So um, there you go. Yeah, yeah, maybe it does. But I, you know, I can't say I've ever been a rock star, but I've, <laughs> <laughs> I've probably Look, so. Yeah. So when you got to sixteen, did you leave school at this stage, or did you stay on for those? Yeah. Yeah, no, I, I left school um at the first opportunity, much to um uh much to my parents, um or um, my mother. Um uh, yes, um wasn't a particularly popular decision. Um and it um it caused me quite a bit of uh, trouble actually, because it was simply a choice of um if you don't go to college, you kind of you're out the door because uh, uh, that's the way it is, or it was at the time. Yeah, um, that was heavy. Yeah, yeah. So I was out the door at a very young age. Uh, oh my god! So was yeah. that kind of um, eighty one, eighty two time? Yeah, I guess it would have been about. Yeah, makes sense. So what was your what was your yeah. dream at that stage in life? Was it, had you got the bass? Had you started playing? Yeah, I mean, my dream. I mean, for example, um, the dream, as as you put it, was the band was born out of the dream. Um, the band existed um, in name before I'd even had a chance to uh, um, purchase a bass guitar. It was one of those ones. 530 It's the band name from when I was about 13, you know. Before there was even the band, it was the name on the text that uh, schooled on the school textbook. You know, this is going to be my band, and that's what I'm going to do. Um, yes, it, it, yeah, it wasn't really about I'm going to be a great musician, and it was really about I, I'm going to get a band together, and the band's going to conquer the world or whatever. Conquer something, yeah. Well, there, there you go. You've got to stick with the dream, and um, hopefully... yeah. But yeah, so you so when did you get the bass guitar? When did you think actually I've got the name, I've got the look? Yeah, but, yeah. Well, I'm sitting the around and saving up my pennies on a weekly basis, and also um, bugging my parents. Um, I think um, I'm sort of one of these characters that get a little bit obsessive about things. You once once you get that. Once you get that idea in your head, I could not stop thinking or talking about a bass guitar. I was driving everyone absolutely around the bend. Um, so um, a bass guitar came up for sale um, 
from um, through a mutual friend. And um, I think my mum kind of caved in and um, lent me the last, or lent me or gave me the last sort of 20 or 30 pounds that I needed to get it. It was an earthwood, it was called, um, which is like a, like a kind of uh, Fender precision copy. Yeah. Really heavy old thing. But uh, yeah, that was uh, the neck that, did a figure eight, I think. The strings were so high, but that was the first bass, the earthward, yeah. And did you um, and have... Would have been back, I would have been 15, 16, I think. Yes. And did you have lessons, or did you have anybody giving you some help? No lessons. No lessons. No, I didn't have any lessons at all. Um, probably accounted for my slow progress. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah. So when you when you went out the door, most they... of the time was spent posing with the bass in front of the mirror for the first few years. Uh, yeah, I think. that's understandable. And jumping around to Clash records or something. Yeah. And, and was there a particular? Uh, you know, was, was it Sting or was it Lemmy or was it Chris Squire? Who was your or John Entwistle? Yeah, um, it was probably Bruce Foxton. Uh, yeah, I'm from. From a earlier age, um, I used to love the sound of the bass guitar on the Motown records, but um, I wasn't really um, of an advanced state of mind to actually realise what instrument it was. I just knew I loved that tone and what it was doing to me. Yeah. And then I later I figured out, oh, that's that's a bass. That's what's happening in the music. There's someone doing that stuff separately and he's called the bass player and then um yeah when you're kind of uh, figuring it out a little bit um um Boxton was probably the first uh, not probably he was definitely the first bass player that i really got into um yeah yes and did you i mean were you obsessively going to gigs at this stage was that sort of a your apprentice because of where we were living, I think um, going to gigs was a was more of a, a treat or you know luxury that um, we we managed to do occasionally. We we as many as possible. Uh, we would go to um, Oxford, the Apollo, to catch a few bands there. Uh, lucky enough to see the jam as well when I was um, sixteen. Uh, the year they broke, uh, the the year they broke up. Yeah. Uh, uh, so uh, yeah, that was probably my second gig actually after Small World, uh, the jam at um, Bramby Hall. Um, I think it was uh, September of eighty two, um, and then we saw them in the December as well when they were playing the farewell tour. But um, yeah. Trying to go to gigs as 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 often as as one could. Um, uh, we were in big country around that time, and the cult. Um, yeah. God, that's so fantastic. Did you when you went out the door at the age of sixteen? Was it a bit like Huckleberry Finn? Were you just kind of or Jack Kerouac on the road? Did you just kind of think, right, that's it? Sorry, I'm I'm going. How did you manage to navigate that? What, uh, what was the question? Sorry, Dave. I just said, you know, when, when you walked yeah. out the door at the age oh, of sixteen, right, right. did you? Oh yeah. Was it, 
how how did you navigate that kind of period? Because you know, well, you, yeah, it wasn't so much as walking out the door. It was more, to be honest, it was more being my brother and I both got kicked out the door. I mean, it's, it's probably a sensitive issue, really. Um, not from my point of view, but I wouldn't like to upset my mother, really, kind of. No, because everyone loves their mum, and you know, my mum. She, she'd had a couple of children, as i.e. my brother and myself, by the time she was 21. And she, you know, she was a great mother. So <laughs> I've got to put that out there first and foremost. Uh, so by the time we were teenagers, she, she was still a young person, really. Yes. And um, as you get older, you become more forgiving of your parents and what they what they have to go through. Um Nevertheless, uh, yeah, uh, we 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 left home um, at that stage, and uh, I went to live with my best mate. For, uh, his uh, name was Chris, who was a very big part of um, Band Five Thirty um, for all kinds of reasons, and his parents. His father was a church minister. Um, they lived in a place, a village, probably five or six miles down the road, called Milton under Witchwood. Nice oh. little Cotswold village, and uh, they were there. Yeah, they were just very beautiful and accommodating, and allowed me to stay on his floor for six months. And they had a basement as well, and they even let the band rehearse in the basement. And on top of that. Um, when we um, ended up getting a new guitarist, um, a guy by the name of Sean Gwynn, who came over from New Orleans, America, he, he even stayed there as well for a few months. So, yeah, they were very, uh, very sweet and accommodating. My God, that sounds like some sort of beautiful hippie commune in Haight-Ashbury, actually, more than... Um... Yeah. Yeah, in a way, but the, with minus the spliffs and the, it was <laughs> it was you know they were very the psychedelic drugs conservative yeah exactly yeah yeah minus all of that um, it was exactly and the tied eye t shirts and uh... it was uh, yeah it's uh, it's most nice his, his his mother was lovely we used to go around hitchhiking all over the place to these gigs and whatever and get back at all times all. all times of night and morning and his mum would get up and make us um uh bacon and egg sandwiches and uh sorry to the vegetarians out there i uh, <laughs> <laughs> paused before i said it I, I don't know where you stand on that um myself i uh, as far as meat goes i eat it very very sparingly nowadays i can't remember the last time i had a bacon sandwich but um at yeah two in, at two in the morning yeah yeah and uh, <laughs> and a bowl of cocoa pops as well to wash it down so yeah yeah excellent so Lovely. then so when when did you sort of you had the name of the band obviously quite a bit before that i mean the uh you know the early 80s we had obviously i know you know the thatcher got in you know we had the the, the yeah sort of the falkland war we had the minor strike green and common we were all going to die in a nuclear yeah. war and yeah. uh, and then AIDS. sort of that that oh yes AIDS don't forget throw that one in and uh, yeah. as well 
And then suddenly, yeah, we had that post-punk world. There was the slightly new yeah. Paisley sound that was going on in London, which was all very beautiful, but I wasn't sure. And 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 that mod revival. And then mm. sort of 82, 83, the Smiths came along with yeah. you know, their sound. So indie mm. pop really felt like something was happening from 83 mm. for the next five years with the Smiths. So what was it like for you then at that stage when you were looking at the band and thinking, what sound were you going for? Because you yeah. you weren't sort of that that slightly abrasive sort of quality of bands like The Fall or, or Magazine or Gang of Four, were you? You were much more. Yeah. You had much well, more. Well, at that stage, we were still, I mean, we were still very, um, we were kids and we we would play whatever came, whatever happened to come out at the time. Uh, we didn't have much control, musical control at that point of the game. Um, and didn't really have a great deal of awareness of those bands either. Um, I'd seen uh, the Smiths on top of the pops and I couldn't really get my head around. I was more into, you know, more into going back into the old 60s kind of bands at that age, I think, than um, the contemporary music scene that was going on. Um, I've learned to appreciate them probably a little bit more with hindsight. Yes. Uh, mm. So what did you then stay in in that kind of neighbourhood or did you, as a band, how did you start to evolve over the, the kind of 80s period? Because obviously, you know, yeah. there, was a, there was a lot of different scenes. There was the sort of the Batcave and Goth scene. There was Psychobilly. There was yeah. pop. I mean, yeah. you know, the, the John Peel show was opening us up to all these amazing new yeah. records from around the world, which was mind blowing. We also had, you yeah. know, three weekly music papers. You know, there yeah. lots of yeah. lots of lots of towns and cities had their alternative indie nights and such yeah. like. So, how was your kind of eighties? Because you were you'd sort of formed in eighty four, hadn't you? And um, were kind of mm. so. Had you stayed there, or did you move to London at this stage? Uh, didn't move to London for a little while. I think the next move, uh, the next big move from Milton under Witchwood, actually, I moved back to Burford for a little while and ended up staying um, uh, with my girlfriend at the time, also at a very young age, and then um, and then to Oxford. Um, by this time, the American guitarist Sean had um done a bunk back to new orleans um went round to see him <laughs> he was living he was living with my brother uh, where my brother had moved to um a, a friend of my brother's um on the estate where we grew up uh he was staying there um after he'd stayed at uh, our place in milton and which for a while and went round to see him one day and he'd gone back to america without telling anyone <laughs> But he did leave his Vox AC30, uh, mm. which is quite nice. Yeah, the classic indie amp there. Uh, of, so, um, but did yeah. You ever, have you ever spoke to him since? Yeah, we're in touch now. But it was, we got obviously with the uh, uh, the arrival of the um, internet and social media, we ended up uh, hooking up. Um, well, that would have, so that would have been like 85, 95. Um, 15, about 25 years later, you know, 
Right. And he right. came over. He's been over um, to visit. Uh, he came and stayed with me about 20 years later, 25 years later, when I was living in Golders Green. <laughs> And uh, he's just um, he's just made a record actually. Uh, his name's Sean Gwynn, and I should tell you the name of his record. Let me just. Um, it's called Velvet Dreams, and it's Doctor Mary's Monkey. Uh, it's a, it's it's a good album if you um, get a chance. Velvet, Velvet Dreams is it? Yeah, yeah. His new album he's just put out. Um, but bless him, he, he 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 left us in the lurch, and um, and there was no internet, no no telephone numbers. So oh my lord, what's uh, um, that was quite an obstacle um, to get over at the time. But um, fortunately, we'd been into the studio and done some recording, and a very small independent label called Waterfall. Uh, had offered to release a 12-inch vinyl, which has just been re-released, funnily enough, strangely enough, in the last month or two, um, which was called Catching a Rye. Uh, we recorded that, and he'd left us with just that little bit of a springboard. It was right. a nice recording, and that was just enough to get a, a, a guitarist, a player, interested in joining because we had a few gigs lined up and uh, a friend of mine or friend he was a little bit older um paul bassett who who went to the same school as as i um but was much more advanced as a musician my brother sent him a copy of the uh, demo tape um before it was uh, released as vinyl and said we've got a bit of a situation um, as regards gigs coming up and no guitar player, but this is what we're doing now. Do you, do you fancy it? And that's how Paul ended up coming into the uh, fold. Yes, God, that's that's a, already the murky world of being in a band, isn't it? Having to deal with those disappointments. Did you sort of did yeah. you question whether you were going to still stick with the band at that stage? Or no, I didn't. No, but I I just remember feeling gutted really i think yeah the day is the day that i found out because the night before i had been drinking with him in the local pub the white horse and as he was walking up the um hill he turned around to me and said hey you know that the recording we did of catcher that was perfect and i and and i, I was i was heartwarmed by that comment because he he didn't give out the um compliments too liberally as it as it were uh, so i was feeling quite sort of chuffed about that and when i went round, as i said uh the next day and uh mike my um brother's friend's stepfather said he's gone back home <laughs> and i just remember going back home uh, going back to my room and playing Don't Let Me Down by the Beatles about 10 times in a row. <laughs> <laughs> so, what, so, so 20 yeah. years later or a long time? Or however long, probably maybe more, yeah. So when you spoke to him, did you say, what was that about? Did you? Uh, it was uh, it was a um, MySpace thing. I ho hunted him down on MySpace and 
obviously, I think he was, obviously is a word that I use far too often, sometimes it's not always obvious, but I think he was aware that the band had continued without him and gone on to some degree of success uh, without him and, and was quite, I think he was quite um, a mixture of shocked and um, thrilled uh, by that. Uh, but I just I just wrote to him a message on um, MySpace saying, I would have been perfectly happy to hold on to your coattails and, you know, follow you down the road indefinitely because he was a great player and a great uh, songwriter as well. Yes. And, um, but yeah, these things happen and you have to try and do your best to find solutions. Uh, uh, fate, fate takes its little part in the proceedings. I know. Well, God, that's quite a moment, isn't it? So when, after Catcher came out, Catcher in the Rye, then what happens, because that's kind of mid-85 at this stage. Yeah. And you get get sort of Paul Bassett in to replace him. So then what's your next sort of uh, phase of the band? We would, well, that kind of allowed us to play on what was the mod circuit at the time. Uh, but we were always considered to be second or third rate mod band by the by the people in the know in the scene at the time. Right. I don't think we were never accepted into that into that clique. Um, I remember when we played the mod aid all day, and they threw cheese sandwiches at us and <laughs> and um, and heckled us um, no end. Um, yeah, because you know, I don't think we really maybe it was the cut of the suit or whatever. Uh, we weren't really kind of um, uh, well cut, clean cut enough to to um, pull it off. Who were the who were the kind of A team, the A list at that stage? Uh, probably a band called uh, The Moment, uh, would have been. Um, Purple Hearts, maybe they'd. You see, the Purple Hearts uh, had split and formed a band called The Rage, which was like a conglomerate of members from the Chords, the Purple Hearts, and um, probably some other mod bands as well. Uh, yeah. Good question. Um, that's uh, I, I, yeah. Band called the Colours from Wales. Uh, Truth, I guess. Um, oh, they're so they're so picky. Aren't direct they? hits. Direct hits. Yes. I yeah. A few. Yeah. Squire. Those kind of people. Anthony May Maynor from Squire. Yeah. The, the it was. The names will start coming back if I. It's been a long time since I've thought about that lot. Yes, that yeah. that lot, <laughs> <laughs> that, that bunch. Yes. Yeah. So then, so so then, at this kind of period, sort of eighty-seven, say the Smiths break up, 
ecstasy comes along you know there's a sort of a new vibe in town yeah new group of 16 to 18 year olds 87 was that eight the smiths broke up in 1987 yeah right okay yeah so then there's a kind of a new there's a bit of a new vibe in town isn't there it's all, all those indie yeah. bands that we loved the jingly jangly sound suddenly were getting a bit dated weren't they and then we had the the dance scene didn't we with yeah you know the stone roses and the happy mondays yeah and and, yeah. and and you know the rave culture and the chicago house music and then a few yeah. years later we had the grunge scenes you you were there right at the start though i know nirvana brought out bleach in 89 hadn't they and and also yeah. the, the pixies and throwing muses had sort of been yeah. around since 80 89 as well so what happened what where are you at with where are you at this point with the band oh right yeah so before all of that um happened on like the pixies and the nirvana thing um we'd uprooted from oxford and moved to london charlotte street number 68 that was uh, probably about 88, I guess. And we we were big time into... I was following Paul's lead. Well, Paul was a couple of years older than me and more progressive, sophisticated musician, so I tended to kind of just do what he was doing at that period. And he was a much more advanced musician than I was. And um, he was big time into Hendrix, but... Um, also um the american funk and soul bands like funkadelic and parliament and um and some of the uh, robert cray american blues artists of of that period so yeah we were more into the american sort of dance and blues music than the yeah. indie thing that was going on um in our own backyard at the time um yeah, that's. Uh, I guess that's where we were. Yes. So, did you at this stage? Because you you get signed at some time in the sort of the de the change in the decade to East West Records, aren't you? So, are you? Correct. Pardon. Correct. Yeah. Oh, good. Yeah. God, it, sound, it sounded a bit like Mastermind there. <laughs> <laughs> Started, so I finish. So, when did you? I know. Correct. Magnus Magnuson. Um, Air Conditioned Nightmare. So is this is this your first single for the band, uh, for the label? No, that was our second. First single was Abstain. Right. So that comes out first, actually. So you'd yes. sort of got your sound at this stage, hadn't you? Oh, I wouldn't. I mean, we'd got the sound that had got us some attention and um, and got us signed and got us on the road uh but i think the sound was was still in this i think we were still trying to find ourselves uh musically at the time i mean we would go through different phases of of um of the band's um What would you call it? Um, I've derailed myself. Yeah, uh, yeah. Were you, were you were you just uh, 
at that stage, were you just kind of chasing a scene? You know, were you looking at what was popular and trying to sort of go, oh, let's... No, I, I don't think so. Um, not really. Otherwise, we would have kind of gone down that shoegazy kind of route, uh, which was kind of taking off. I just think that you're kind of, you're aware of uh, what's happening. You, you're kind of... You, you enjoy and the bands that are happening at the moment and you take aspects or you're influenced by aspects of them are filtered or shoehorned into your own into your own uh, development um so there, i don't think there was a specific uh oh, let's sit down and um you know try and resemble this that or the other it's it was just a lot more casual than that, I think. Yes, but then you had like bands like was it the World of Twists, the Milton Brothers, even Flowered Up, you know, yeah. um, Thousand Yard Stare. You know, you you slightly feel like you fit in a little bit with that company. You know, that's you know, that, there's that kind of because you had shoegazing, but you also had quite a lot of other little True. bands who were who weren't quite. Who, who, like the Sundays came along at that point where yeah. they sounded great, but you kind of thought, oh yeah, that scene has been there. But I mean, obviously they become huge, but at the same time, you can sort of feel like they would have fitted in better in the, you know, like during the mid eighties than the yeah, yeah, or a bit like a few years later in the sort of Brit pop period. So I just wondered if you were, yeah, you know, fitting in, trying to sort of work out where you sort of fitted in because at that stage you got management, hadn't you? Was it P? Yeah. Yeah, Hawkins had started to manage. That's it. right. Yeah, yeah. And what was that like? Were Were you being headhunted at that stage? Yeah, yeah. Um, by record companies, there was a uh, there was quite a big. Uh, there was, I guess, there was quite a big response to the band. Um, um, as far as the record companies and publishers went, uh, it did go. It went a little bit crazy for a while, um, but musically, um, I think the Stone Roses did have quite an impact on us um, because they'd obviously been listening to and had some of the same influences that we had. You know, like the Parliament and. Funkadelic, they've been listening to American dance music. It sounded yes. like to us. Um, I mean, it from a slightly different angle, but um, yeah. Um, as far as the um, industry side of the um, of the period went, uh, yeah, it was before. I just remember a lot of uh, knocking on doors and a lot of no, he's not available. He's in the meeting and uh, not really hearing back from anyone um, to a uh, mad few months when we were living in Camden, a place called Agar Grove, and there was a um, payphone in the hall and it started ringing first thing in the morning and continued ringing all day right until late at night and it was just publishers and record companies and agents and they were sending limos around to pick us up and it just yeah it just went crazy like that for a while what other labels were interested uh it's it came down to 
MCA, Ireland, and East West were the last three um, on the table that we'd whittled it down to. And then there was a bidding war between Ireland and um, East West Warners. Uh, at this point, um, Pete Hawkins had come onto the uh, scene. We'd actually written to Pete uh, a couple of years before, I think, where we were looking for a manager, sent him a demo and a photograph, saying we had no commitments at the moment. Would he be interested? Um, so um, he was one of the first people we spoke to, and, and uh, he took the reins for the for the negotiations of the deals and, and so forth. Yes. And there you go. And and it was a happy a happy marriage, I guess. Yes. Yeah. Uh, I don't no, I wouldn't say that at all. I feel a little bit sorry for for Pete in a way. Um because we uh we fired fired him pretty quickly um before the album came out. Uh, the first single abstain did okay with a sort of top 50 whatever uh air conditioned nightmare uh, there was a, a bit of friction between the record company and um the band they they were heart set on releasing 13th disciple and getting behind that and we wanted to release um air conditioned nightmare so they kind of pulled the rug a little bit and um and i think we kind of uh peak kind of got the brunt of that maybe a little bit right. I, you know we yeah you're that age you want every, everything i don't think we were a bit impatient really um because 91 is an intense year for you guys, isn't it? You know, this is like the singles are coming out. You're working with people like Flood as well. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, it was. Um, yeah, a lot of, lot of stuff going on. Um, looking back on it, more events uh, happening in you know, the space of a couple of months than, than happening. <laughs> Space of years now, yeah. Yes, when you woke up on the 1st of January 1991, it was like you didn't know what was going to hit you, really, was it? Yeah, it was fun. Yes. So when the so bringing the album out, can you remember the process and the experience of doing that? Uh, yeah. Um, I felt that so it was a little bit early for us to record the album i would have liked another 12 months writing and record uh writing demoing and playing uh shows and and um so yeah i thought it was a bit early um we'd done a couple of four track eps uh, we released about eight songs already uh, we had a, a huge backlight backlog should i say of demos from previous uh before anybody was really uh, interested in in the band before the emi demo tapes which garnered the um the main interest that um propelled us uh into getting the record deal and so forth um so yes we could have revisited that material uh which i hadn't heard 
myself until recently and someone is they're going to re-release it um our new album uh out this year and i i hadn't heard it myself uh, until uh uh someone um sent this uh material to me and there's some really strong stuff there uh but you know that you just want to write new stuff all the time at that age um and i just felt that we needed another 12 six 12 months maybe playing and recording to yes. actually hit the potential i thought we were we were capable of but you know they had their they had their diary mapped out and um we we ended up going with uh with the flow i guess and um they put the studio in um the studio just outside wrexham in wales uh, oh was that rockfields yeah no no sorry not it wasn't rockfield but it was that kind of thing that kind of studio i wish it was rockfield but it was that kind of i can't remember the name of the studio yeah. charlatan had just recorded their first album there some friendly um and that was uh that was booked uh for about a month or two months in in the future uh and we requested to pete that we uh go away and hire a cottage somewhere and do some intensive writing and um demoing um three of us um so uh, which which we did i think we had a cottage for about a week and uh, and then that was the um pre-production uh session basically and then we were in the studio with mark waterman before we knew it recording uh songs which would still in the process of being right written on the whole um yes well, it, was, it was an intense time wasn't it very um fast and furious so so did you have did you how many days or weeks did you spend in the studio at that stage i seem to recall we were in the studio for we were in there for the best part of a month yes. yeah on lockout for the best part of a month. My God. Yeah. yeah. And there are there are some classic songs in there, aren't there? I mean, it starts with Supernova. It's yeah. 13. Well, Supernova's a good example of what I'm talking about. It's I think it's a great song, but I never felt we'd done the song justice. And had we had time, just a little bit of time to go out on the road and play the song, uh, um, play the song in a little bit, um, I think it, it would have um it would have been beneficial for the song in the long run. Um, yeah. Yes. And what about 13th? Uh, yeah, that was a little bit more. That was pretty much, uh, we we demoed that in the Island Studios uh, when they'd given us studio time before. Um, so that was a little bit more complete as a song. Yes. I mean, yeah. I mean, and then you had Psycho... Cupid as Psycho well. Cupid, yeah, yeah, that was written in this uh, ideas that that was um, the uh, Paul had had the idea, but it was again pretty much written in the studio. Psycho Cupid, Junk yeah. Mail was just a jam song that came out of the studio. Automatons was a very simple um, 
two chord idea that I'd had um, that uh, came together in the studio as well. So, blimey, um, it's it's all go. So then, what happens with the band once the the album is kind of out and and done? Do you then sort of tour it? Yeah, we toured. Uh, we, yeah, we did a we did the. We didn't tour Europe, but uh, we toured around the UK and America. Um, unfortunately, um, it wasn't too long before Phil left after after that. So um, yeah, it was very it was a very condensed period. A lot of like there's a lot of events going on, good and bad. Uh, but Phil left when we were touring America. Oh my God! During the actual tour, yeah, but it was more of a we were playing, but it was more of a meet and greet tour, right? Um, yeah, uh, I think, um, yeah, you know, it's uh, you're young. I think Phil was felt like he was getting the uh, butt of the um, of maybe paul and i um were taking it out on him a little bit um if the if we'd had a ropey show or something uh... <laughs> <laughs> my god that's so slightly spinal tap that you know you lose your drummer yeah yeah it was absolutely a shame though because it actually you know phil it, he was a great drummer uh it's a shame i couldn't see that then and he was a good vocalist, a great back backing vocalist as well. Yes. He used to be a choir boy, you know, and he and he he somehow managed to retain his um, angelic falsetto, which featured very heavily on uh, quite a few of those tracks. Yes. So the, then, when you got back from America, what was the sort of state of the band at this stage, apart from being a duo? Was, oh yeah, drummerless. Um, yeah, I think really, um, in my mind, it was going to almost um, parody what Nirvana had been through. So, uh, at the same time, they'd released one album, which was pretty good, um, not uh, earth shatteringly incredible or anything um just a good solid record and then they got a new drummer and released the next album and then that's what when it all came together and i kind of felt that that would be a similar route for us yes um, but then yeah. then 92 came along so did you ever sort of yeah. replace and as horrible as the queen said she did, didn't she? I know. She had a lot on that year, didn't she? So did so so did you ever replace Phil at that stage or did you did the band? I would ever... to, um we we had auditions, um sort of a couple of dozen drummers came along. The guy that we really liked, his name was um anyway, Jimmy. Jimmy, he went off and he joined. He was from Leeds, uh, and he, he was fantastic. 
Uh, I think we've got a heart set, set on him, but he ended up joining this band from New York and went off there. Um, so yeah, we had touring coming up um, for a tour booked in Japan and we needed someone quick and we ended up taking Jez um, who went on to play for Swerve Driver. Right. For a while, he he came in. Um, he was okay. Um, it was very different from Phil. Sort of, um, yeah. I think at that point we were beginning to appreciate that we'd lost a really good drummer. Remember, <laughs> uh, yeah, yes. But, you know, that's the way it goes. So then you did Japan, and then was that the the last gig you did as a band? No, I think we did Japan. I came back, we started uh, demoing for the second album. Um, ended up splitting with Jazz, and then Keith rejoined, who was the drummer in the band previous to. It is Spinal Tap now. I'm just hearing myself repeat it back it's um yeah keith came back keith mccubbin uh rejoined the band um so we've done a full circle he wasn't the original drummer he was the second drummer <laughs> uh, yeah and um he was more like a prog rock kind of very muso drummer and yeah it didn't really happen with with him Right. Did you start? Did you start recording and demoing the second album? Uh, Yeah, we did, Um, but not with Keith. Mainly with Jez, actually. And uh, some of the demos uh, were released on the Cherry Red, right? um, Record a few of them, and I think we may release a few more. Uh, Heavy Soul are going to put out an album this year of our demos, uh, so I think there were maybe some on there as well. Yes, and there was um, what's this? The Alistair Crowley, Crowley's door. The door. Yes, the door. Yeah, Crowley's door. Well, what yeah. do you know about it? Well, I just saw an interview of, um, and a mention of it. Was this a was this a tr- album or a track that you had recorded? Ah, uh, we actually had. So it was claimed as the Crowley's front door as um, artifacts. Uh, which we put on the stage with us um, when we played live. Uh, it was um, quite a spectacle, this red door with a lot uh, with the black lion's face for the knocker and uh, the small letterbox, which put a little lamp in the letterbox. And it was, yeah, it was quite... Uh, it was quite a spectacle, I think, uh, for the audience. Created quite a atmosphere for we yeah. on stage. Uh, but yeah, the story of the door. Um, so a, a, a Yugoslavian guy um, by the name of uh, Jovan uh, um, used to live below us, and he used to go around to all these car boot sales and um, house clearances. Uh, and he had another friend called Lemmy. They were these hippie type guys, 
uh, used to go around on their motorbike and sidecar. And one day they pulled up and they just said, oh, Crowley's place was getting um, resurrected down at blah, 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 maybe Gower Street or something. And we got the front door. We got the front door. We've got Alistair Crowley's front door. Uh, this is the same place that had the uh, the payphone in the hall way on agar grove in camden you know right and then and they put the door there uh by the payphone and and then siobhan ended up leaving so he disappeared and lemmy went to live in some squat and the door just stayed there you know every time i went into my room the door was there and i'm like oh why don't we take this door and put it on the stage with us it just kind of, so it went from that's how simple it was um until the point that when we toured america we even paid for the door to come out with us <laughs> that is spinal tap <laughs> and was it really that, alistair crowley's door who knows right but apparently oh that's what Lemmy said. That, that's and um, always, always trust a hippie. That's yeah, yeah. You it's, never, yeah. you know, they, they're good on, on, on. Yes, well, there you go. Jeezy, crazy. So there was mm. a. So you wrote an EP or a track about this. That's door. right. Yeah, we did. We were going to call the EP Alistair. That was going to be the next EP that we released before we split. And um, that's a. It was an awesome, um, awesome record. That was going to be the record that actually finally broke us into the big time. I am absolutely certain of it. There were some really good pop songs on that. Uh, that was going to... Uh, would have given the Oasis such a kick up the arse before they even happened. Um, it's a shame. Uh, yeah. So the yes, the the cover was all done. Uh, Chris, my friend, had done the cover uh, of of the record, uh, which looked fantastic. He'd just taken the door, the red door, up to Hampstead Heath, and just had it like in the middle of the heath, all this green and blue sky, and the red door there. Uh, it looked fantastic. Yeah. Yes, and and you got to record the the material, did you? Uh, up to demo uh, stages, yeah, and that uh, we also met uh, produced potential producers and played the material to them. And um, we were talking to Jimmy Miller at the time. We'd met him. We were talking to Tony Visconti as well, and um, they were all really, really into this uh, material. And we we're looking forward to. Uh, I was really looking forward to making that record more so than any other record. Yeah. You know? And it's all looking good. And then what happens? Well, that's uh, so that would have been before we went to America. We had that. So Phil was um, Phil was drumming on those demos. So it would have been the, basically um, uh, the Phil left. Um, my friend Chris, who I've spoken so much of, uh, uh, right from uh, when I was a teenager, who I lived with, he ended up killing himself. Uh, he jumped from Chelsea Bridge um, in March of 92. Um, was, that the fam was that the family that you were living with? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. God. So he was like my brother, you know. He did all of our artwork, all of our good artwork. 
the crappy album cover wasn't done by him, but he'd done another. I mean, the, this is his. This is Chris's here. Yeah. Still have one of his paintings here. Yes, which is fantastic. Uh, can you see that? Yep. I mean, that's one. I'll uh, hold it up here. My this God. was supposed to be our album cover. Yes, God. Um, but for some reason, he didn't have it on time for the deadline or something. Oh um, dear. See, this is all textured. This it's um, it is three dimensional, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, 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 yeah. So, no, I've still I got that. I might actually use it on this uh, heavy soul record that's coming out, um, this year in honor of Chris, at least. Yes, yeah. well, absolutely. My god, that's horrendous. Yeah, so your, your 91 period was quite. Positive. Your ninety-two year was quite dark, wasn't it? Really. My God, you could get more of a contrast. Yeah, a juxtaposition, if ever there was one. Polarization. Yes. Yeah, craziness, craziness. Ninety-one was an awesome year, and um, you know what? People come into your life, and I don't blame anyone um, about the circumstances or any individual. Uh, it's just certain people uh, certain chemistries happen um you know like for example i'm sure you can relate to this you go out with one lady or you have one girlfriend and for some reason everything is really cool um life is good um plain sailing and then you have another girlfriend it's not like she's a bad person or anything but just like shit happens all the time and it yeah. was that was 91 and 92. And um, I guess I'm using the analogy of girlfriends is because I had a girlfriend in 91 and loads of great, and 90, loads of great things happened. And as soon as I, uh, that relationship ended and I got into another relationship and loads of crap things happened. And I'm thinking, was it because of the chemistry of the relationship? Yes. These are the things that us songwriters have to mull over, you know, and try and figure out in our writing. Everyone has to mull over them, I guess, or doesn't have to. It's not compulsory, but yes, well, they intrigued me. But it did, yeah. And the door, did you kind of look at the door occasionally, thinking perhaps I need to get rid of the door? <laughs> good, good point. We did, yeah. Very astute comment. Yes, the door. We we actually did some kind of ritualistic um, uh, offering of the door. We, we we put it on the Thames down by uh, down on um, Hampton Court and and burnt it and we put petrol and, and sent it like a, a, a Viking um, burial ship down the Thames and waved goodbye to the door. My God, was that in ninety so, two? Was that ninety two? Ninety two, yeah, yeah. yeah. Did it feel like you had to do it? Was the door starting to be too much? Very astute of you, yeah, yeah. I guess it was. But and then you're thinking, or is it just us projecting? But or like all of this great amazing stuff happened when we kind of took the door from the hallway and put it on stage. It's almost like the phone started ringing overnight. You know, the 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 people, uh, the bosses weren't in a meeting anymore you know? 
so all of that kind of amazing stuff happened and then the following year like all of that uh dark stuff happened yeah yeah my god so when did you decide the band was kind of all over at that you know i never decided that i would get the band back tomorrow so yes yeah um that was a decision that was first phil decided that he was going and then um after the um emotion of 92 you know especially with chris from in march i think i spent six months kind of not knowing where i was coming or going i'm sure i was absolutely awful person to be around um so so much so that um paul decided he'd had enough uh the following september yeah short and sweet jesus god what a what a weird period isn't it yeah, it sounds like it? something from netflix <laughs> yes my god you know yeah it'd be hard to write the one with the yeah it's hard to write that with the door really isn't it but the door seems to be do, so symbolic to the band do you write no but um oh. there you go but you you know mm. but then so what happens to you, you you're sort of in london with no band at that point um uh, at the point of uh, having uh, are you talking post door or yeah, post door <laughs> post door <laughs> post band everything just uh, yeah. shattered dreams really yeah yeah and and your best mate is also dead i know uh, that's a, that's a, that's the hard one cuz yeah it, was, it wasn't just someone you were at school with which is a bit odd which you know i, I yeah. slightly i had yeah. a friend who went in the army when he was about 25 and you know I mean, it's a bizarre thing that happened, but I, I'd sort of lost touch with him a bit. But then he got shot the kind of the week before his wedding by his best man by accident, obviously. Wow. And and again, you know, you're just thinking, God, wow. Robert, that was Robert Riseborough. We wow. used to sort of play football and table tennis yes. all through our Wow. Year. Was it was was his be- friend best man who shot him? Yes. I mean, were they it, both in money together? It was like a, a friendly fire. Well, I think they were on manoeuvres. They were doing, and he didn't have his gun latch on, and and wow. the, the gun went and it shot him. And you know, it does seem, you know, and I still, when I go back to the village, go to you know the cemetery to see you know various graves as you walk up the country lane because you know it's countryside. And yeah. you know, I always look at Robert's grave, and it's like, yeah, yeah, oh, yeah. can you believe it? You know, he's yeah, yeah, yeah. He got shot by you know accident, you know, accidentally by his best man the week before his wedding, and you're thinking. God, you can't make it up, can you? It's no, like, no, no. It's those stories that you just think. But that's a bit different because yeah. I had slightly lost touch with him, and you know, in a way, we'd sort of yeah. we we didn't have much in common. But you'd lived with this person and were still actively with him, seeing him in his adult life. So, um, yeah, that's a different gig, isn't it? Yeah, definitely. And there was like so loads of like kind of weird stuff going on as well. Like I mentioned, my um. I'd had a change in relationship and um, I don't know if I was paranoid or something, but for a a while I was convinced that he was in love with that person as well. And even it might have been reciprocal um, because we were living in the same house in um, Hampton Court big house on the river down there 
um, Chris had a little studio in there for, for his artwork and stuff, and we were living in there. And so, yeah, a little bit, a little bit like that hip, hippie commune vibe that you mentioned earlier. Yes. And this uh, this particular uh, girlfriend of mine, um, she was young, only young, only about 18 at the time. I was, I was probably 22, 23. Uh, she had these, um, she'd let her hair go into dreadlocks kind of thing. And um, one day I came down the stairs into the front room and Chris was sitting there taking, uh, unmatting her dreadlocks for her. Uh, with oil, she obviously asked him to perform this chore. Yes, for her. But I was uh, probably a jealous young guy at the time, and I, as I came in, I was I was kind of quite stunned by the sight. And as he looked at me, his lip almost quivered like that. And I walked straight through the room to the kitchen and then came straight through and went upstairs and we didn't say anything else about it until uh, we didn't say anything about that specific incident until um, I think I'm not sure if it was the same night or the next night or even the night after we had the turntables in the um, in the living room and we had a great record collection and I just happened to play the Buzzcocks ever fallen in love with someone you shouldn't have. Yes. <laughs> and it came to the end and Chris looked at me and said, Tara, have you ever fallen in love with someone you shouldn't have? Just like that. And I was so stunned by this question that I couldn't even answer it. And I'm not even sure what I said now, but I just thought, does he he wants a conversation about something deeper and i don't want to go there <laughs> that was it yeah yeah so yeah. there were all these unanswered things yes yeah and what happened to that relationship oh she screwed me over man she ended up she was there just for the you know the minor celebrity and uh, right. focus she tried to, I noticed she just tried to side up to everyone that was close to me and then push me out like this <laughs> <laughs> sort of girl if you went to dinner with her she would sit there and say absolutely nothing at all you couldn't make a conversation with her so, but I I was in love with her yes. I don't know why I didn't have any res- almost like I didn't have respect for her but I was in love with her a crazy thing maybe i'm damaged i said i was damaged after that anyway yes um, 22 yeah. 20, 22 is a tricky age though isn't it yeah yeah and and young girls are tricky tricky creatures very machiavellian some of them um yeah she went off to jamaica and started seeing all these guys and um i, I still kind of had took her back you know Oh, but anyway, it's gone now. She's gone as well. Phew. Oh, thank God. You just, yes, let that one sell. So then, 90, okay, definitely 93, the band is totally over, isn't it? You wake up on the 1st of January, no band. Yeah. yeah. It's, it's, yes, yeah. that's right. So, so how then do you, did, what's, what's your next phase here? Well, from the Hampton Court phase, after, after, 
Chris's um, demise, um, I decided to go back to Oxford, um, get out of that house and all of the ghosts that were piling up. And uh, so I went back to Oxford, Little Clarendon Street, and um, tried to uh, uh, start with the process of reforming, uh, reforming or forming a new band. And first, uh, yeah, that was it. Uh, first people I met there were the Jennifers. Right. And they left the Jennifers to join the band with myself, uh, which we were going to do. Um, but I didn't want to do that because I can, I've been getting into the uh, more, I'd just done 5.30 and I wanted to do something a bit more. I had quite a lot of anger and angst in me. I wanted to do something a bit more hard hitting. I was getting into Fugazi and a lot more that American sort of punk stuff and I wanted to go a bit more down that road. So was this the the Nubiles? That's right. Yeah. And you brought out Mind Blender. Yeah. Yeah. But this was it. So you you got signed a publishing deal with EMI at this stage. Ah, uh, well, I retained the publishing deal from five thirty. Right. Uh, they kept me on, fortunately. Yeah. For a while. And did you at that stage you got a new Chrysalis? You you got signed to Chrysalis. Yeah. That album's not on Chrysalis, but um, we were signed to Chrysalis, but then Chrysalis went, um, it sort of went bankrupt for a while. Yes. Um, where did yeah. you record, you recorded the album? Where did, where, where, where was that recorded? Mind Blender. Yes. Uh, it was on, in a studio in Waterloo uh, on The Cut. Do you know The Cut in Waterloo? No. Okay. Um, the cut is you know where the old Vic is. Yeah, it, that's that's the cut. That's the name of the road. There was a studio just down there on the right underground studio. Um, can't, it's not there now. I can't recall the name of the studio. Chris would know. Yes. Sorry. There you go. Uh, uh, not was... not that Chris. The other there was a new Chris in the band. In Nettleton. The new... That's right. Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. So, because you're at the height of the Britpop, John Major, New Labour period here. Yeah. Once that album came out, had you did you fold the band at this stage? Oh, we see that album. That album was such a long-winded affair. Um, we should have done an album in the first six months, twelve months of of the band's formation because the band was really kicking, and you're at that age as well where you connect quick if you're if you're on a par musically with people and you gel with people, and uh, we we had a fantastic sound, um, but for some for some reason um, the process became drawn out, and that album wasn't really recorded until four years into the album, into the band's um, lifespan. Um, so that album, uh, by the time that album was released, uh, Giorgio had left the band. Um, right. Which is unfortunate. Have you managed to listen to that album at all? Only bits of it. There's a, there's okay. a thing, I want to be your... Kintakinte. Yes. <laughs> Excellent song. Excellent Sorry? song. 
Excellent song. It's a good song, isn't it? Ah, uh, thanks. Well, that was, um, yeah, I guess that was uh, me shouting at the girl that, um, that went off to Jamaica. It <laughs> <laughs> probably wouldn't get away with the, this period of wokeism would probably get me hung, drawn and courted nowadays. Yeah, so was this kind of your John Lennon sort of, you know, primal scream experience, you know, to kind of release the anger that you had that had been built up in the early 90s? Yeah, quite a good way of putting it, I think, yeah. Yes. Always with a little bit of black humour thrown in. Oh, excuse me, but... Um, yeah. <laughs> I know. Just He's walking, pun, yeah. walking on the minefield here, aren't we? Now, yeah, um, yeah. <laughs> I did yeah. once say to someone about black magic, and it was like, oh, okay, sorry, I didn't. Yeah, come on, I'll come. Yeah, you know, it's like, yeah, yeah. yeah. You just realise you're you're on a new level. Anyway, yeah. Yeah, so once, 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 yeah, once that album came out, had you just had it by then? Oh. Uh... The, yeah, the band, uh, again, uh, Giorgio Cochetti, uh, lead guitarist of the band, uh, he was first to go with Four Piece. Um, but he, Giorgio kind of liked to... Um, he, 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 complex character. Um, he was always, I'm leaving in six months. Or I'm leaving this uh and we just got back from a bit of a summer hiatus and um and first meeting it was normally about money and stuff like that uh he he, he kind of felt that he was italian and he felt like he was the outside and he felt like we were all getting this money that he wasn't getting and he wasn't appreciated for his genius in the way and and so he, he yeah he, he laid that one down again i'm leaving and i'm like Giorgio, just go or stay we had a tv uh we had a tv appearance booked for that very day on a welsh um comedy show where we were going to be doing kunta kinte actually yeah. and um yeah the kind of shit hit the fan at, on that day and i'm like I want you to stay in the band, but please, you either stay or or go. You know, don't say I'm staying until six months, then I'm leaving. And then we, so we had a silly little group vote and he got voted out. And then we're silly things, really, because you should, now I've learned you should always do your very, very best to preserve, preserve a special chemistry. And it was very unique special chemistry. I love the new bells, like, in a way more than 530 I, that was supposed to be my forever band you know yes. i really you know i was i'm learning now i've kind of learned a hell of a lot from human relations and um through the 530 experience and i'm going to kind of use all of that for the new bars and just plod along making records and playing and unfortunately um, it wasn't to be yes god that's mm. so tricky so then that's kind of gone. What's you? What's what's your next musical chapter after that one? Oh, the wilderness chapter. The wilderness years. Yeah, I did really. an interview with um. Was it there was a poet, wasn't there? Murray Lachlan Young, 
I don't know if you can remember, he got this kind of million pound deal with EMI and it was it was kind of like a bizarre period in his life. And then it all goes terribly wrong and he just kind of ends up in nothing with nothing. And oh, after yeah. the, that year, the, that period of real sort of heightened kind of excitement and money and, and fame, it all just disappears really instantly. Wow. And he and he um, and I did an interview with him a few years ago and he said that it just completely screws your head up. And he just went and lived in a wood for sort of a couple of years, built himself a bar and just went into the wood until he was kind of fit enough like to come back out off again. Line, off grid. Yes. Of. It was just like everything had mucked with his brain. So did your wilderness period, was that kind of you having to find out who you were again and navigate yeah. out yeah. of that? that I kind of, yeah, I, my experience was, um, a little bit similar to um what's his name murray murray lackland young he um yes the right, poet. Yeah. he's a poet yeah yes so he used to um you'll like his work actually he says optimistically i should yeah. have his book here but he used yeah. to tour with various bands he was very flamboyant and extrovert and um, okay and he did a yeah he did one on Britpop bizarrely a poem on Britpop which I can't now see anyway I should have rehearsed this time and then you would have gone God he's so he's so efficient yeah no I I would love to check his work out yeah he's a delightful guy because he obviously had to go through what a lot of people went through of dealing with what happens when the when it's all over and uh, sort of eating humble pie and getting back into reality. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, yes, that's right. Yeah, there's definitely some loud munching of apple, apple <laughs> humble pie. Oh, this is it. You're this is this is the guy. Look, oh wow, Murray, like guys, are you? Yeah, so right. he he did this one. You, if you read his story, it's kind of you know he gets this million pound. You're going to be the best thing ever. Then the record label personnel change. He he gets kind of yes, yes, ceremoniously yeah, dropped. Yeah, and then you know he then has and and also you know fame has completely mangled his brains. So there you go. So yeah. There you go. So then with the wilderness yeah. years. Yes. So yeah, I dealt with mine in in the way he went to the woods. I went back. To, I went to Japan. Um, I had a few wilderness, London wilderness years. I was um, still writing. I never. I think I probably I've picked up the guitar every single day of my life. I think, um, providing there's been one um, in the room or accessible. Uh, so yeah, I've always kept that up and always enjoyed sort of doing that sort of rather than watching telly or something but um um then i think it was would have been um early 2000 about 2000 i went to japan i, I went out there and um ended up teaching english um it's like a bit of a graveyard for <laughs> for uh, english musicians um is japan um, who, who who can kind of um, make a living by virtue of the fact that they can uh, talk English? Yeah. So um, yes, I know there yeah. was a there's quite a few who have done the teaching English as a foreign language. Yeah, that yeah. was me. 
Mega City Four. I remember his. Oh, his, really? Yeah. Oh. I think he went to Australia. I oh, know he couldn't. Have oh, Australia. Okay. I can't remember, but yeah, you know, there's the, there's one, a lot. Was yeah. it Wiz or Wiz the singer? No, unfortunately, Wiz was the guy who died. It was his oh, brother. Right. The brother was the one who. Um, yeah, he he had the wilderness years of just. Yeah. yeah, I mean, everyone has that period, though, isn't it? You know, you've you've done nothing yeah. else apart from playing music. Yes, and, yes. And you knew yeah. what you were going to do your next, you know, your next, you know, period. You're re recording, you're touring, you're recording, you're touring. This group of people, and then when it's all over, and there's yeah. no there's no money, you've had to get rid yeah. of all your musical instruments, and yes. you've got no identity, and no one cares about you. Yes, yes. It's kind of done, isn't it? And then people yeah, can. You know. And then That's people right. can come up to you, random strangers can come up and say, weren't you somebody in the 90s? And you go, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm still right. I'm still a somebody now. But yeah, I was yeah. big. I was big in the 90s. I shrunk now to the size <laughs> of a tiny person. <laughs> you just stand yeah. on me and insult my face. Um, yeah. 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 So yes. So then, when did you, after those years in Japan, when did you find yourself playing music again? Oh, well, um, like I say, I've never really stopped playing for my own personal um, enjoyment or writing. Um, uh, I had two stints in, in Japan, actually. Uh, so I went out there um, at the first time and um, ended up um, getting married to Japanese girl and um, we came back to London for a while. We had a bit more tragic tragedy. We lost a child and the relationship also um, folded. Um, that was another weird one as well because she was like the daughter of this guy who owned a huge, her father owned a huge Japanese company. Um, it was a health food company. It was one of the biggest, uh, probably the biggest health food company in Asia. So she was suddenly I was propelled into this world of uh, huge wealth, um, which was uh, a, a, an experience um, as well. Um, was, they weren't extravagant, don't get me wrong. It wasn't just like wanton kind of. Um, wasteful kind of um wealth um but yeah yes but it was uh it offered me the opportunity to mm, not have to i to quit the job and um you know to do a bit more traveling and um focus on my writing things like that um but it was a short it was a window of time you know and that's gone now you know uh now i'm back in this other reality you know the the, the easy the easy days are in the past yes <laughs> yeah but i enjoyed them while they were there you know um but it was on the back of someone else's labors i guess at the end of the day yes and that's so yes so then this latest chapter so music back in the uk uh yeah so like i said we had two stints we had two stints in um japan 
um, went to Japan, did the English teacher thing, but, uh, uh, met the wife, came back here. There's another three or four years, lost the kid and wanted to go back to Japan. Uh, father bought us a house, it was very nice, but um, went back to, uh, got another job um, after a couple of years, again, uh, teaching English, but more as a, a, a on a conversational level. Um, uh, they have uh, conversation schools. You, you literally get paid to facilitate conversation. Right. Um, sounds good, but it's actually very tiring. If you imagine 90 minutes of someone that can speak pidgin English, it's quite exhausting. I would imagine it would, it would um, um, yes, the novelty would wear off, wouldn't it? Yeah, yeah. And, um, to, and then the relationship um, ended, and then I came back alone to the UK. Back to the world of bedsits and doing blue collar work. Um, like I'm a bus driver now. So um, but uh, I managed to record an album amongst amongst all of that and um hopefully do some more recording this year. This, uh, so is this the debut album, the the Serpent Waltz? Serpentine Waltz. Serpentine that's Waltz. correct that's the one that came out last yeah. year yeah and then and so have you been with with your your back catalogue has that all been getting archived with all the 530 yeah there are a few people out there that have um fortunately kept on top of that side yeah it's pretty much been archived yes cherry red records yeah they did a they did a bit of a bodge on, unfortunately i was, wasn't very happy with that uh, the the packaging was great and all of that but um they uh, they um managed to um mess up some of the like run-ins and stuff like that things which were one song they've ended up becoming Two songs. Oh, get what I mean. Yes. Uh, yeah. Weird. Weird. We've got a few complaints. Uh, yeah, butchered it a little bit. Butchered some of the um, record. Uh, there you go. But is all the material that you did with the band, is that kind of now available or is there more? No, like I say, there's a, still a lot of material that has not been heard. Um, and um, I hadn't even been heard from me until a couple of weeks ago, and um, and I was playing. I said, this this is really good, actually. Um, it's uh, it wasn't the material that we broke through with. Um, maybe it just happened to be that that wasn't the in vogue sound at the time of yes. But had it been a different time, this, the, the material was quite, it was strong enough to stand up in its own right. So, uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to, I'm looking forward to putting it out. Fantastic. Yeah. So then, yeah. So you've got your solo stuff, got this archiving. And do you play any more live dates or have you just sort of? Uh, I'm trying to ease my way back into it. Um, I had a few bad experiences um whereby uh the stage fright got the better of me 
Um, you see, my mainstay as a musician, as as you as you're aware, has always been as a bass player on in the band on, on the stage. And then I did the transition to six string guitar and not only not the strumming variety but the sort of more the finger style yes um elements of playing do you play guitar Dave no I don't I'm afraid well I'm sure you can imagine it's a lot less forgiving if you're a little bit nervous on the bass guitar maybe your hand's gonna like it's forgiven you can get by but if you're doing an f- intricate finger picking style and your and your uh, your your hands shake even a little bit off, it's very difficult. Um, and I literally was so nervous I couldn't even play. Um, so I'm trying to ease my way back into what I know I'm capable of in the privacy of my own room. Um, doing it in front of a audience i think it will get there but as i said this band that i was playing with today uh it's a different um i don't have that worry i'm just there as a um someone to to help facilitate the songs bass guitar it's band called um stash the roller and it's more of a soundscape kind of spiritualized groove uh, very simple um yeah that uh, the drummer is more in control of the sound than he. You know, I'm just there really to kind of take the elements of the sound and the beats and channel them into, uh, give them a bit of form and a bit of uh, dimension in the form of um, song. Uh, that's my key role there, yeah. uh, which is really fun. Excellent. Um, mm. That would be good. That would be good. I mean, that's please... nice. Yeah. That must be quite a nice feeling. I mean, if you could have whispered something to your like 16-year-old self stars now, is there anything in particular that you would have said, oh, yes, I would have definitely told them that? Oh, to myself as a 16-year-old? Yes. Oh, question. What about anything in particular? Well, I just wondered if there would be like, oh yeah, God, if I had met that sixteen, my sixteen-year-old self starting out, yes, I would have just said, look, yes. you might I, ignore, yes. I might, you might ignore this, but I'll just tell you, yeah, this, you know, yeah. or or you know, just a bit of directional yeah. advice. Yeah, I would, yeah, I would definitely say, don't rush. That's what they always tell us as bus drivers. <laughs> <laughs> Don't you have rush. accidents when you rush. I was doing, I thought I was in a race to, I really bought into that whole punk ethos of, uh, you know, the Powella thing of you've got to do it by the time you're 21 kind of thing is like re- really only relevant. Then I, was, I would say be thorough, take your time, um, live life and live it thoroughly, channel, channel that into your music and take your time to develop as a musician and don't rush yourself. Yes. God, it's hard, isn't it? It's just yeah. a tough. It's a tough gig, though, isn't it? Really, just getting it right. I know. Yeah, yeah, it is. Yeah. And did you? And did you? I guess you did. Make up with your mum in the end. Yes, absolutely. Yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah. That was um, those, those relationships. 
I think maybe six months later or something. Um, right. I didn't speak to her for about six months, but since and since then, um, yeah, we've uh, we've had a pretty consistent relationship. She's still the number one lady in my in my life. Yes. Yeah. Your mum is always your mum, isn't it? <laughs> and, and as I was saying earlier, as the older you get, the more forgiving you become of your parents when you you have the contrast of of the way you've conducted your life. <laughs> Yes, I know. Yeah, you realise it's a tough gig getting older. Yeah. And you think, Jesus Christ, that's hard work. Yeah. But look, this has been amazing. Well, thank you ever so much for your time and amazing story. I mean, I'm really curious with your the Alistair Crowley. Alistair Crowley story. <laughs> Everyone is uh, quite fascinated by that. Uh, uh, that little anecdote. Yeah. Yes, yeah. she's got it bad. Yes, that is a good one. But it's um so did those tracks I might have missed it. Did you say you'd recorded them or were recording them? Yeah, no, I think we've uh we have recorded them. Um yeah, I think the tracks were gonna be She's Got It Bad, uh, which we've got a pretty good uh demo of. I think that was actually on the Cherry Red record. Um Barbie Ferrari, um and then uh, we were going to put, because it was going to be a four track, and we were also going to put, what was it? Song of oh. No Intention. Right. Like a Beatlesy kind of song. And When I'm Stoned, like more of an instrumental with a brief vocal interlude. Yes. Of, well, you'll have to... Um, it will be a killer, killer EP. So close. Jesus, so close. Anyway, you'll have to, have to listen to... <laughs> yeah. Who would have known? I mean, uh, who, who would... Uh, had that happened, you know, I may not be sitting here to tell the story, you know. I could be another no. Kurt or something. You know, not that I'm claiming to have his kind of talent, but... It could, have, it could have blown you, couldn't it? Anyway, but yeah. you can always have a listen to your version of um the what's the track you had on elvin lived in the my sweet lord my sweet lord and also lush with chirpy chirpy cheap cheap <laughs> gotta do that yeah yeah Maybe. i'm gonna reinvest reinvestigate that uh, album yeah, i've got definitely. the image of the boot and the blue cover yes now yeah it was, it was quite psychedelic actually glam yeah it was glam -tastic. Yeah. But right, look, we need to go to bed, don't we? Not together, but... Um... Well, I... <laughs> yeah, I only single bed to me. So. Thanks, Dave. It's been so nice. And I'm yes, really well, look, it. take care. And I can always send you yeah. the link if you want to... <laughs> Absolutely, yeah. I, I want to go back. I will actually go and have a listen to some of your older shows now. Yes, uh, have, I'm a, have a copy of other people's answers. Oh, yeah. And if you've got any bands you think, oh, you should try and get there. Definitely, then... definitely. Give us a shout. Yeah. It's always good. I will do. Anyway, look, have a great day tomorrow and, and good luck with the new band as well. Thank you. I, I Keep in touch. Keep in I touch. I will. I will. Take care. Yeah. See you All later. All the best. Yeah, Thanks. let's hope Let's hope this year is good for you. Yeah. And for you best. too. <laughs> See you later. Yeah. Stay bye -bye. lucky. Bye-bye. Yeah, stay lucky. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. And that, dear listener, is the end of the interview. A massive thank you, as always, to... Tara Milton from 5.30 and the Nubiles. 
And also his latest band. This has been the C86 Show, David East. So if you want to contact me, you can on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, just do C86 Show. All these interviews have been archived. Aren't you lucky? You can find those on Spotify, iTunes, Podbean. It's true. Anyway, have a great week. Stay safe. <laughs>